Good afternoon. I am Jeff Smelter. This is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. And uh, Chase Byers is not with us today, but Joe Works is. But he's not in Elmira, New York. He is somewhere in the hinderlings, hinder, hinder, hinder parts, or what, what's that word? I can't think of the word. Uh, hinder parts is anatomical. What's the word? The the backwoods of Pennsylvania. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, Pennsylvania, a, uh, a nice town uh, uh, not too far from Elmira, but uh, got a uh, Bible, couple of Bible studies here this afternoon uh, after this uh, webinar. Uh, so I'm just pulled off the side of the road here. Fantastic. Glad you could still uh, be with us today, be with me today. Chase is out today. Um, so we're going to be talking about the book of Acts. We're going to start a new study today, and we'll we'll stick with this for a few weeks. Um, probably take us, what, two or three weeks to get through the book of Acts, Joe? <laughs> well, if, we, if, we, if I say everything that I know about it, it might take three. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's not true. <laughs> okay. So let's let's start in just first. Just to, we don't need to spend uh, a long time on an introduction, but just thinking about the Bible, I, I a lot of times divide up the Bible Testament parts for people. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life of Jesus. You've got the Book of Acts that talks about the events after He ascends back to the Father. The Book of Acts talks about the spread of the gospel through the world. And then you have the letters, uh, and the letters, many of them are written against the backdrop of the history that's found in the book of Acts. Uh, so Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, I didn't get those in order. First and second Corinthians is in there somewhere. Uh, so, but we're going to be in the book of Acts, and uh, Joe, I'm going to let you uh, say anything that you want about setting up the book of Acts. It looks like I've got a technical issue to deal with here while you sure. do that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So one of the things I think is a challenge in the book of Acts, if you're following along with us in this study, whether live or recorded, um, you might look at the title in, uh, in your Bible, and my title says the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and that title, as I understand it, was just added by men. Yeah, I think it's in most of our, our Bibles that way. But I would caution us to not uh, just live and die by that title. Um, uh, you know, what that title might suggest is that these are things that the apostles did, and, and therefore we focus on um, what the, the, the apostles, and we forget to focus on the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, and so it's more than just the acts of the apostles. In fact, it's only some of the acts of some of the apostles that's really talked about very much. But, but I think we, we need to emphasize that the the main individual in the story is God, uh, whether we're looking at that through Jesus Christ or through the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, but I, it's, it's helpful for me, at least, to, to kind of have that in the forefront of my mind as I'm reading through the book of Acts. Yeah, and you mentioned it's only some of the apostles. I guess we have, if I'm thinking right, five apostles named in the book of Acts, but primarily it focuses upon the work of Peter and Paul. And right. in, in the first several chapters, Peter is, is prominent, and the last several chapters, Paul is prominent. And there's kind of a, um, a nice parallel there. The first part of the book of Acts, the gospel is being spread amongst Jews. And then the last part of the book of Acts is being spread in the Gentile world and, and amongst Gentiles. Peter is the apostle to the circumcision, to the Jews. 
and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Peter's work, gospel going to the Gentiles, especially in Jerusalem, and then Paul's work, gospel going to Gentiles, the latter part of the book of Acts. Right, right. And then also just reminding ourselves that, that this is the sequel. Um, Luke is the author. Uh, we, so we have the book of Luke and uh, telling about the life of Christ. And then this just picks up the story uh, from Luke 24. And uh, in fact, there's even a little bit of overlap there uh, as, as Luke then begins to write the, the next series of events that, that take place. And, and that's really a good place for us to just jump into the book of Acts, because when Luke begins the book of Acts, he refers to the book of Luke, or the gospel of Luke. He referred to what we call the gospel of Luke. Luke didn't call it the gospel of Luke, but he refers to what he wrote previously about Jesus. So here's the first verse of the book of Acts. The former treatise I made, O Theophilus, concerning all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was received up, after that he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So just shortly, in brief, what he said there was, I wrote a former treatise, I wrote a previous volume, where I talked about everything Jesus did until the day he ascended to the Father. And so that's that's Luke. That's what he's talking about, the Gospel of Luke. And right. It mentions this Theophilus, just real quick. Shall I tell the story? I've told the story so many times. I, I, I love the story. I think you need to tell it. Every time I see that verse, I think of you, Jeff. Oh, that's that's so sweet. Um, so when I was born, it was a Sunday morning. My dad was not there. He was preaching on the radio. Uh, they wheeled my mother out on the gurney after, after I'd been born. And the doctor said, well, so what are you going to name him? Sunday Smelser? And my mother said, no, I'm not going to name him Sunday Smelster. And he said, well, then what are you going to name him? And she said, Theophilus. And the doctor said, why are you going to name him Theophilus? And she said, because it's Theophilus looking baby I ever saw. <laughs> now, there's there's some background to that story, but we don't need to go there. Um, <laughs> she did not mean it. She it was a joke she had read in Reader's Digest. And in those days, they would put a, a birthing mother, they would give her ether uh, as kind of an uh, anesthesia. And uh, it, it made you silly. It was, you know, she was high on ether. And so she thought it'd be an appropriate time to pull out this joke she'd read in Reader's Digest. And there you go. All right. But anyway, Theophilus is probably, I don't know what you think about this, Joe, but Theophilus is probably a patron, somebody who subsidized the publication distribution of what Luke is going to write. He writes very formally. He writes something that is meant for posterity. It's not a personal letter, Luke and Acts. They're, they're written in a way that a historian would write. Luke is an educated man. He's a physician. Um, and he's writing for posterity. It takes, and that means there need to be copies of this made and distributed, and that takes money. And so it was a common practice when some author, a literary work of a literary work, uh, would want his thing published, he would have somebody sponsor it. And, uh, and then he would kind of, like we would say, dedicate the work to that person. Josephus begins his work in the same way, his uh, Life of Appian, he begins the same way, very similar to this. Um, so uh, let's get into the text here. So, so um, if, I, if I might just jump one, one, one more, uh, one application to that. So the name Theophilus uh, isn't a reference, doesn't mean Jeff, um, uh, <laughs> but uh, so what does the name in, in Greek mean? It would mean lover of God or a God lover. 
And so what an appropriate name, whether that is his actual, the, the patron's actual name or whether it's a pen name of sorts. Um, I don't know if it makes much difference. But when we read it, I, I think that's helpful for me to think about. Luke is hoping that people that love God are, are going to read this. And, uh, and certainly we find um, a desire to be closer to God when we finish it. Yeah, that's appropriate. Um, for what it's worth, Theophilus was, was not an unknown name in the first century. We have examples of people named Theophilus, not, not elsewhere in the Bible, but in other sources in the first century. Okay, um, so then he goes on and he talks about how Jesus showed himself alive over the space of 40 days, um, showed himself alive to the ones he'd chosen over the space of 40 days and was speaking to them concerning the kingdom of God. So I don't know if all of our listeners will remember, but Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, did not immediately ascend to heaven. He spent 40 days. And during this time, it tells us what he's talking about with his disciples, with the chosen ones, the 12. He's talking about the kingdom of God because, well, at the beginning of Jesus' public career, he talked about the kingdom being at hand. And John the Baptist had talked about the kingdom being at hand. And then Jesus, we just went through the Sermon on the Mount recently, right? Right, yep. And we kind of said that that's a picture of kingdom living. Uh, think of all the parables where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like unto and so, so now he has given the sacrifice, made the sacrifice on the cross that reconciles a people to God. They're his kingdom. And he ascends to the Father. But before he does so, he's, he is leaving these parting instructions about the kingdom. The kingdom is here. And, um, well, imminently, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. And then, and then maybe just uh, putting the exclamation point to, to that verse. That's the same way that the book of Acts then closes uh, in uh, Acts 28 and in verse 31, Paul is preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding them. And so you have the teachings of Jesus and the kingdom of God in Acts 1-3 and Acts 28-31. Thank you for that, Joe. I don't think I had ever made note of that, that the, the book of Acts is, is bookended by Jesus talking about the kingdom and then Paul talking about the kingdom at the very end. Pretty, pretty helpful, again, to just see what should we be looking for when we read it. Um, yeah. Just in the middle of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria preaching the good news of the kingdom. So, you know, Joe, just here's a point. Then when we think about some of the various doctrines that make the rounds today, there are a lot of people who believe that the kingdom has not yet come, even today. And in fact, a lot of people who believe the church is one thing and the kingdom is something else. And in fact, a lot of people who believe there's a rapture coming and the church is going to be, quote, raptured out of the way, and then Jesus is going to come and set up a Jewish kingdom in Israel. The book of Acts kind of sounds like they felt like they were in the middle of the kingdom. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, uh, and, and it's that, that very doctrine sort of makes a mockery of, you know, what uh, John the Baptist said when he came preaching, when Jesus came preaching, when he sent out the apostles to preach. You know, it was all about the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And now we are reading about the kingdom. And then in, in verse 4 and 5, he tells these apostles to stay in Jerusalem to not to leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. And he talks about 
John's baptism and that the Holy Spirit is going to come and they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in not many days, which prompts a question from the disciples. And I think it's helpful to understand some background and, and we'll understand the question. The background is this, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, especially in chapters 36 and 37, there were prophecies about the coming kingdom that were connected with God pouring out his spirit God putting his spirit in man, God pouring his spirit out. Joel uses that language also. We'll be talking about that soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's connected with the coming of a king uh, who, is, who is described as David, but David has already died, lived and died 400 years earlier when Ezekiel prophesied this. He's using David to represent the coming Messiah, and the Jews understood that. So the background is that in the Jews' mind, in the mind of the Jews who who paid attention to these Old Testament prophets, they were looking for a coming Messiah and connected that with the coming of the kingdom and the pouring out of God's Spirit. So when Jesus now mentions the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples, connecting the dots, said in verse 6, Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so before we get into Jesus' answer to that, any thoughts about that question? No, just but but just again, emphasis, he's been talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And so now when he mentions the Holy Spirit, um, I, I love the fact that we can see these New Testament people, these New Testament mm-hmm. Jews, they knew the Old Testament. Um, uh, and they may not have understood all of the prophecies. Um, but they were able to make connections from things that Jesus said. We need to be able to do that with the, with the whole Bible. That, that's a, that needs to be a challenge for us. Yeah, absolutely. Verse 6, they asked the question, do you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And his answer is a little bit oblique. Uh, he says, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the authority has set within his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. One thing to take away from that is, we know the Holy Spirit's coming soon. It's, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them in the very next chapter, but it's connected with their receiving power and being his witnesses. And so, the, already, before we get to the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the pouring out of God's Spirit, understand that this uh, a part of the purpose here is to equip the apostles to do their job as witnesses going forth throughout the world and saying, Jesus has been raised from the dead. I saw him alive. I'm a witness of the resurrection. And they're going to need to back those claims up with miraculous powers. Well, they're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we get a hint of that right here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Yeah, I also wonder if, and, and feel free to, to give a different view on this, uh, but I wonder if he's not somewhat correcting uh, subtly uh, their understanding. They ask, is it at this time they restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus goes well beyond the borders of uh, yeah. Palestine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, it'd have been different if they'd asked, do you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, even, even Gentiles can be a part of the Israel of God. Uh, Paul uses the language, the Israel of God in Galatians, the sixth chapter talk. And Paul uses this, the idea in, in Romans, the ninth chapter, that not all Israel is of Israel. 
there are people who are part of the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, who are not biological descendants of Paul. Paul will say in Galatians 3.29, if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. He, he's writing to Gentiles, and he says to Gentiles, if you belong to Christ, then you are descendants of Abraham, even though biologically you're not. God just makes you so. But it appears that in the disciples' minds, when they say, do you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, they're thinking of the Israel they knew, the earthly Israel, and they're, well, okay, is this nation going to get the kingdom back? And as you say, Jesus says, listen, uh, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking about you going into the whole world. Right. And so, okay. Yeah. Uh, then we come to verse nine and we have a significant event. Well, maybe just, just really quick. So does verse eight also serve to be somewhat of an outline for the rest of the book? Yeah, yeah, we, it does. You know, he, it, it's exactly what he says. We begin in Jerusalem, um, uh, then go further out into Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately to the, the ends of the earth, uh, particularly from Acts 13 on, but actually a little bit before that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Acts chapters two through seven are in Jerusalem. Acts chapter eight, we go to Samaria. Uh, Acts chapter uh, nine, uh, well, Paul is, is on the road to Damascus, and he becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he goes on to Damascus and Arabia, and then as you get into latter chapters of the book of Acts, on to the rest of the world. All right, yep. Uh, okay, um, so verse nine, then uh, I'll read it. And when he had said these things, as they were looking, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight while they were looking steadfastly into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in white apparel who also said ye men of galilee why stand ye looking into heaven this jesus who was received who was received up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you beheld him going into heaven joe uh there is there has been over in over the last couple of decades a growing fascination amongst a certain um, portion of the population of believers, I guess you could say, who have decided that there is not going to be a time when Jesus is literally going to come back, uh, a future time when everybody is going to be raised. Um, but this passage seems to fairly clearly talk about a time when Jesus is going to come back in the same manner that they saw him go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you have to do something with the end of verse 11. It will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Um, you, you can't just say, well, that means he's not coming. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Wait a minute, uh, Joe. So you're saying he will come in like manner as you beheld him going. Doesn't mean he's I, I, not coming. <laughs> I, 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 I know there's some radical thinking there. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, so part of that doctrine is that he came, but not at all like what we would would imagine from that verse. Yeah. There, um, there, there are comings of the Lord of various sorts in the Bible, and there are some many comings of the Lord that are described that are not literal in, Jesus in flesh coming so that everybody sees him in person. There are judgments of God where God is described as coming on the clouds, riding Riding a, a heavenly chariot, so to speak, that are that are figurative, they're they're literal comings, but they're not comings. But this is talking. I didn't finish that sentence. <laughs> so, so we, we even have Jesus coming to Paul 
in Acts 9. There you go. Um, but that's not the way that this is being described. This is something much larger um, yeah. uh, that, that these people are going to see. Yeah. Verse 12, then they returned, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near unto Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper chamber where they were abiding, and then it names them, the apostles, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Ah, there's Judas, right? Is that the Judas that betrayed Jesus? That's not Judas Iscariot, is it? No, it's not. In fact, Judas Iscariot's not mentioned in this list. Why not? Uh, he's going to be talked about in the next section. Um, uh, he has already uh, killed himself and uh, is, is no longer a part of those who are going to be set forth. So one of the things that happens here is that it mentions the apostles, and they're gathered with about 120, it says, in um, in verse, oh, verse 15. Yep. Um, some of the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, are there, and so his brethren. And as they're gathered, starting in verse 16, uh, Peter stands up and says, we need to find a replacement for Judas, and I'm, I'm abbreviating there, but that's basically what he says, right. and he talks about Judas having killed himself. Yeah. As he, as he introduces this idea, he says something that I think is important. It tells us a little bit about, again, the work and qualifications of an apostle. Verse 21, he says, of the men, therefore, that have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the day that he was received up from, a, from us. So pause there. We got to pick somebody who's been with Jesus for the past three years, starting with the baptism of John up until the resurrection. And then he says, of these, one must be a witness, one must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So I, I see two things here. We got to pick somebody who was with Jesus for these three years, and then secondly, somebody who's seen Jesus alive after he was raised and can go out and be a witness of the resurrection. Yeah, yeah it harkens back to verse 8, where they were going to be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the earth. So yeah, that, that same word is, is used there as far as being a witness. So they put two candidates forward. Uh, one is a, is a guy named Joseph, whom they, who was also called Barsabas and uh, was surnamed Justice, and then there's also a guy named Matthias, and uh, they prayed to the Lord and cast lots, and uh, it, it turned out it was for Matthias, and so he is now added to the 11 to, to make the 12th apostle. Yeah, and, and that, that, this may be a practical lesson there. You had two good men put forth. It seems like they both met the qualifications. They only needed one. One was chosen. Does that make then Joseph useless and, uh, you know, he doesn't have any function in the kingdom? Um, I, I think not. Um, we, we see, you know, selected individuals chosen for specific jobs sometimes, but that doesn't at all imply that the other people are, are unimportant. Right, right. And, and that's important. You know, in the kingdom of God, there's not a place for personal ambition uh, such that you, you know, sometimes in the workplace, people get passed over for promotions, and they take it as a slight. And if you get passed over two or three times, you start looking, well, is this discrimination because I'm a woman? Is this discrimination 
because I'm old? Is this discrimination because of my race or that kind of thing? There's really not room for, there's certainly not room for mistreating people because of their race or because of their gender or because of their age. But in the kingdom of God, we should not be looking at the roles that we can fill as kind of career ladder climbing kinds of things such that I feel like, well, if they chose somebody else, then that's not fair. They didn't choose me. We shouldn't be looking at it that way. We are servants in the kingdom of God, and we are just grateful to be able to serve in the kingdom of God. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, by the time we get to chapter five, Matthias is going to be included in those who are arrested and uh, and threatened. Um, uh, you know, there there may not be all benefits. To, yes. Uh, that, um, you know, uh, he may have dodged a bullet from that vantage point. We don't know. Got a question. Another question could be, why not make both of these two candidates apostles? Uh, was there a limit on this office, so to speak? Yeah. I, I mean, the scriptures don't tell us anything more than what uh, the Holy Spirit had revealed that Peter talks about. Um, uh, was it from Psalm 109, let another take his office? And so uh, there was this... Uh, connection that one had been lost uh maybe there's something significant in the number 12 to correspond to the 12 tribes i don't know um is there is there something else that we could uh connect that that's a great question i don't know that i have a better yeah answer. it's it, it, is, it is an interesting question i'm not sure i never thought to ask that question um it's probably not a question we need to spend a lot of time on i think you're probably right there is some symbolic significance to the number 12 we see it number of times in the Bible. It's going to come back in, in the book of Revelation, certainly. Um, it's interesting that in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, it talks about Jesus appearing to the 12 at a time when Matthias is not yet an apostle and Judas is already dead. And so at that time, you only had 11 apostles. Um, there's an interesting case of a manuscript of the gospel of Mark um, that refers to the 12 uh, when Judas is already dead. In, in most manuscripts, it says 11, but in that, it says 12. Um, interestingly, we do end up with 13. Uh, well, actually, do we? So, well, Paul is becomes an apostle, but not long thereafter, James is killed. Um, so, yeah. And then, and then we even have the word used in, in a less technical sense, perhaps, uh, Barnabas is identified as an apostle. Uh, even in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is uh, that that word is applied to Jesus, just simply meaning one sent forth. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, um, but but there does seem to be something significant about there only being twelve. And um, uh, so here's here's what I would say. I would say that while on the one hand there does seem to be symbolic significance in the number twelve, on the other hand at various times there were either 11 or 12 or 13 or what uh if you count paul before james is killed um but what we don't have is an indication that there was supposed to be an ongoing chain of apostles down through the ages uh right. the, one of the qualifications was they had to be a witness of the resurrection even though paul becomes an apostle at a later date jesus appears to him so that he can be a witness of the resurrection. And Paul uses the language in, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Uh, he speaks of himself, the old American standard says, as a child born out of due season. No, untimely born. I guess it's the King James that says born out of due season. 
And he says, he appeared to me also last of all. Um, so it does not seem that there was the expectation um, that Jesus, that new apostles would keep the appointed. Jesus last appeared to Paul, and uh, he's the last apostle. And, and, and so similar to what we studied, uh, was it last Wednesday or the Wednesday before about speaking in tongues? There's not a purpose for them to, uh, for us to continue to have apostles today either. Uh, we have their testimonies. We, we have this book recorded for us of uh, them being eyewitnesses. Um, uh, and so there, there would not be a reason that, that they are needed today either. We, all right. Beyond what we already have. To our audience, if you have some questions or comments about what we've talked about, about the book of Acts, we're going to be getting into chapter two here. If you have questions or comments about Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, um, feel free to chime in, send us a note. Um, we'll try to catch it. It'll be, probably jump up in my eyes quicker if you use the chat or the uh, Q&A uh, feature of the Zoom app, if you're watching by Zoom. If you're watching on Facebook, uh, Drew in the background may catch your comment if it comes up in the Facebook comments and can get it to us that way. Uh, so, so we have that in chapter two and verse one, it's the day of Pentecost. Um, how does that uh, sort of timestamp uh, become uh, helpful for us in seeing the sequence of events, maybe from the end of, you know, the Luke or, or the beginning of, of Acts to, to chapter two? Yeah, so Jesus was crucified at, at the time of Passover. He ate the Passover feast the night before he was crucified. And then the Feast of Pentecost, the, the name Pentecost means 50th. And it had that name because it comes on the 50th day after Passover. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's sometimes called the Feast of Weeks because it came seven weeks after Passover, uh, 49 days, and then the day after the seventh Sabbath. And so... Uh, so what we gather here is that seven weeks have passed since Jesus was crucified. And so just imagine now, as we get into Acts chapter 2, uh, remember these Jews, it was required that male Jews come to Jerusalem for these feasts. But in fact, there would be whole caravans of people. You may remember when Jesus was 12 years old, his whole family, his whole extended family made the trip for Passover. Imagine Jews coming in at the time of Passover and seeing or hearing about Jesus being crucified. And then, then they go home to whatever country they lived in. And then seven weeks later, they now come back for the Feast of Pentecost. And, and here they are in town for this feast, and some stuff happens. And so we'll get into that now. Yeah. And, and so we have, he's crucified, he's killed on the Passover, three days until the resurrection. And after he's raised from the dead, he appears for 40 days. So now we've got 43. And so when he says not many days from now that they would receive the power and the Holy Spirit in Acts 1-5 and through 8, then really we're talking about almost exactly a week. Yeah, about seven days later, uh, not many days. And, and what happens? Well, just as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Yeah. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was now come, this is chapter 2, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Um, I'm going to ask you about who that all together is here in a minute. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Make note that it's just the sound of a wind. There, there is no description of 
papers being blown off of desks or hair being blown about or people's hats flying away. It's just the sound, which would be a weird thing if you were standing there and there's this huge sound of wind, but you don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might think about surround sound in a theater. You hear the noise, but you don't actually feel the effect of it. Right, right. right. And there appeared unto them tongues parting asunder like as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to say it now. We'll probably have time or have need to go back over it. But notice that the Spirit gave the speakers the ability to speak in other tongues. But let's come back. Who is the all? It says they were all together in one place in verse 1. So it seems like there's there's two different positions that would be possible. One would be uh, just looking at the antecedents. Is that the right fancy word? Um, uh, in 126, you have Matthias and the other 11. And so that would be the 12 apostles. Um, or if we go back to a, a greater context, then we have the 120 that had been gathered together in Acts 115. Inquiring minds want to know. Which is it? <laughs> well, if you look, look at chapter 2 and verse 14, does that give us an indication? Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice. So so I, I'm going to say this. It was at least the 12. It was at right. least the apostles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether, whether others were included, the text doesn't make that a point. Yeah. The text does make it a point that it was the apostles. So um, then we get to verse five. So and to your point, Peter stands up and it's the 11 that are speaking. We don't have 120 people standing up speaking to the crowd. Um, for that matter, um, it, it's, a, it's a small enough group that the crowd can discern that everybody who's speaking is a Galilean. Um, so who all the Holy Spirit came upon, I you know, th th there's a lot of discussion about that. As people have some fairly strong opinions about that. But it does seem at least clear to me that it's the 12 who are speaking. And we get to verse, um, verse 5. Uh, my Bible says, now there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, uh, devout men from every nation under heaven. Does yours say dwelling at Jerusalem? It does, yeah. I think it's the NIV that says staying in Jerusalem, which is really better in this context, because the point is, these are not people who are residents of Jerusalem. As is going to be explained in the next few verses, these are people who come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, but they live in other countries. They are there visiting from other countries. And, um, and remember, Jews have been scattered all over the world in Old Testament times, so that's not odd that we'd find Jews from other countries coming in, in into Jerusalem for this occasion. But yeah. when the sound was heard in verse six, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled saying, behold, are not all these that speak Galileans? Now, what does that have to do with anything that they're all Galileans? Well, they would not, at least naturally, they would not be speaking all of these different languages. Um, you know, I, I know a few people that speak, uh, I, I knew one man that spoke eight languages. That was phenomenal. Um, uh, you know, I know I know some people in Mozambique who speak five languages. 
Um, uh, but you know, we have several languages that are identified in verses nine through 11. Um, and so for these to be common Galileans, uh, that, that just doesn't add up. Galilee was not known as a great center of higher education where a lot of highly education, educated people lived, was it? Right, exactly. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a rural area at that time. You have uh, the Sea of Galilee, people making their living as fishermen, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, I think also, if I remember right, were all fishermen. Um, and, uh, and so, wow, these are all Galileans, and yet they can speak in all our languages. In fact, the, the audience goes on and says this in verse 8, how hear we every man in our own language wherein we were born. And then Luke lists places that they came from, people they were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, which would be up in Turkey, and Pontus, which would be up in Turkey, and Asia, which would be up in Turkey, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, a lot in Turkey, Egypt, which is down in Africa, and parts of Libya and Cyrene, which are both in Africa, and sojourners from Rome, which is over in Italy, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them speaking in our tongues the mighty works of God. So we get a picture of what's going on. You got the apostles standing up. Holy Spirit has come upon them. They're able to speak in all these languages. There's more than 12 groups mentioned here. If we only have 12 apostles, how in the world did they do that, Joe? Uh, so perhaps some of them spoke in multiple languages. Could have. And uh, not all of these people, uh, not every single one of these places had a different language than every other place. Um, and um, there's there's a miracle going on here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And, and so I, I think it is important to note, though, that the miracle is not taking place in the no. ears no. of uh, the hearers. It's in the mouth of the speakers. Right. Um, uh, we see that in verse four. They began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance, which means speaking. Right. Yeah. And, and then maybe just uh, this gets lost sometimes because this is such a doctrinal based section you know there's a lot of different theories and, and ideas that are floated but but let's not miss the the title of the sermons that they were preaching um uh, you know it's they were preaching the wonderful work god uh, i just think that that's really helpful you know what were they preaching they were talking about how great god is the wonderful things that god uh, I, i'm only imagine i'm looking at the end of verse 11 um uh, you know the uh the emphasis needs to be on on God, and I'm I just being manifested in Jesus Christ. They're they're proclaiming the gospel. Yes, um, you know the the phrase the wonderful deeds or the wonderful works of God. That's used several times through the Psalms to talk about things like the the incident the Red Sea or or you know other other times that God manifested Himself. But there was never a greater time than Jesus incarnate uh dying for our sins right so uh it's kind of interesting some of the people missed uh the great message and we're just trying to come up with some explanation naturalistic explanation for what's going on and thought they were drunk thought they were filled with new wine yeah and peter stands up and says uh ye men of judea and all ye that dwell or stay in jerusalem be this known unto you and give ear unto my words but these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Now, some Bibles will actually say they're nine o'clock in the morning, something like that, which is what the third hour of the day would be. Right. 
his point is it's too early for you know that to make sense we're not all drunk yeah and and, and the fact that he goes on and reasons with them but would certainly be great evidence of that as well he calls them out for it um and then reasons right through what with several old testament uh, passages as well um but we ought not to be surprised then when people mock god's word and the, the preaching of it you have the the people are amazed and marveled in verse 7 they're amazed and perplexed in verse 12 and you've got others who are mocking and and that's just the way that it has always been mm-hmm. you know uh we can go all the way back to the flood time and, and there was just that that irreverence for god in his message yep so you mentioned he goes back several Old Testament passages. The first one he goes to is Joel chapter two. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, look, we're not drunk, but this, what you are seeing and hearing here, this, this is verse 16. Now I'm reading. This is that which has been spoken through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes it starting in Joel chapter two and verse 28. But it's not a short quote. The beginning of the quote refers to exactly what's happening that they're seeing. That He says, it shall be in the last day, says God. I will pour forth of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and so on. So he quotes the part that is about God pouring out his spirit. Basically, what he's saying is, what you're seeing is not due to drunkenness. What you're seeing is because God has done what was prophesied in the Old Testament. He has poured out his spirit. But he keeps quoting all the way down to, I think it's verse 31 in Joel 2, where it says in verse 21 here next two, it shall be that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he accomplishes a couple of things. Some of the things that are said in Joel 2 here won't really be realized until later on in the book of Acts. The, the, the whole fulfillment of Joel 2 doesn't entirely take place on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the beginning of the fulfillment of Joel 2. But he begins with the fact that Joel had prophesied God would pour out his spirit, and then he talks about being saved. And of course, that's where this is going. Uh, there's a salvation that's available. Uh, anything you want to notice up to this point, Joe? No, no, I think you, you, you nailed it. Um, let me just mention one other thing. I don't want to get too far off on this. It's, it's not a rabbit trail, but I don't want it to be too much of a distraction. You know, we've had the Holy Spirit now mentioned in Acts 1 2, 1 5, 1 8, uh, 1 16, 2 4, and now 2 17 and 18. We'll see it a few more times as we go along, but just a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, here at the beginning, very similar to the way he begins the book of Luke, yep. um, really emphasizing this story is being driven by the power of God. Right, right. And it is also setting this up. He is going to make the case that the Messiah, Christ, means Messiah, has come and that it's Jesus. What he is doing so far is he is laying the foundation for that. If you have, if you're a bunch, of, if you have a bunch of Jews present who know that when the Messiah comes, the Spirit is supposed to come in connection with that. The kingdom and the Spirit come together. And he has laid the foundation. This is the pouring out of God's Spirit. You have an audience of people now who, in their minds, the question is going to be, well, then where's the Messiah? Does that mean the Messiah is here? Does that mean the Messiah is imminent? Does that mean that the Messiah has come? And so starting in verse 22, 
Peter is going to start talking about Jesus and make the case that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, and they crucified him. But we'll have to get into that next time. We'll start next time, Joe, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 with Peter's very, very rational case that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, and just a programming note here, we do want to encourage you to tune in to BibleQuest.tv uh, to register for this program, and you'll get notices uh, letting you know when the program is going to be on and reminders. And uh, I think with that, thank you all.